Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I won't worry about tomorrow. I'm trusting in what you say. Today is the day. Good morning. Today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. It is Friday, the 9th of August. I don't know about you. I mean, I I, I think it was like just the 1st of July. It was just the first week of January, like yesterday. All right. So we are blazing through um, 2019. It's a good time to uh, consider a little bit of a spiritual reset. I don't know about you. I periodically need to um, just take a deep breath and pause and reconsider the routines and the ruts, uh, the bad habits that I have developed, the good habits that I have failed to uh, live into. And so um, I just invite you, if you are interested, to join me in engaging in this day and night. Uh, You can go to dayandnight.org. Christian Union is um, leading us into a season of prayer and fasting for for 21 days starting Monday and there are all kinds of different ways for folks to participate and you can see in your part of the country uh, how many of your neighbors are participating there's already nearly 20,000 people committed to praying uh, 15 minutes every day for uh, spiritual renewal in our own lives and in the nation and so um, just consider that consider if that's something that you might feel led to join and engage in then just go to dayandnight.org and check it out um, I was reminded last night of the the power of physical presence when other people are hurting. And so I want to encourage you today to recognize who you are as you enter into your school, your classroom, uh, your place of work, where wherever it is that you're going to be you know, shopping today, uh, the ways in which you are out there in the world, even on social media. You uh, enter into those places possessed of the very spirit of the living God. And so in no small way, when you show up, in terms of other people's experience, God shows up. And until you show up, um, they don't have a sense that God is present. So I want you to think about that for just a moment. When people are hurting, and uh, everybody's hurting at some level, and if people are hurting without a knowledge of who God is or without a sense of God's presence, then they're hurting in a way that um, is dark and desperately hopeless. And so when you walk into those situations, when you uh, walk into that classroom, that boardroom, that shop, bank, hospital, office, warehouse, campus, city, country square mile, wherever it is that you're going to show up today, um, you show forth the gospel. You you actually like embody the redemptive story of the very good news that confronts and answers, addresses, um, undoes all of the very bad news of the day. So people are going to get some bad news today. People are going to get some bad news today. The question is whether or not they're going to also get the good news. And that's up to you and me as Christians, deployed into the world that God so loves as his agents of grace, representatives of his son, ambassadors of his kingdom, 
uh, whether or not people hear the good news, they're, they're hearing all the bad news. You and I know that. The question is, are they also hearing the good news? That's up to us. All right. So one of my uh, one of my fellow purveyors of good news and sowers of peace is Matt Hawkins. And uh, he's the former policy director of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Church. He now speaks to all of us at MatthewTHawkins.com. Uh, and he is coming up next. We're going to talk about some of the bad news and how it's answered with the good news of the gospel. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen LeBurge. Joining me again today, Matthew Hawkins. You can follow him on Twitter at MTHawk. You can also find him online at MatthewTHawkins.com. Welcome back, my friend. Good morning, Carmen. So answering uh, answering the bad news of the day with the good news of the gospel is uh, what I'm thinking about this morning. And we have, uh, we got some, we we got some bad news this week, uh, just in terms of, of the way People are being um, people are being confronted with the with the reality that they are in the country without documentation and um, yeah. and the uh, uh, I mean you know these there are laws on the books I mean I'm not I'm not denying sure. that people have done something illegal and that the rule of law um, sends our agents um, in to you know be agents of justice but when you round up hundreds of parents during the day on the first day of school and their little kids get off of the school bus in the afternoon with nowhere to yeah. go and don't know where mom and dad are, like something is not right about the way that is happening. So obviously I'm talking about what, what happened this week in Mississippi, and I'd just like you right. to just speak into it. Yeah, I got I got to confess, Carmen, your, your opening segment, I was listening, I was like, uh... I'm reaching for some good good news here because I'm looking at all bad news and I'm pretty ramped up about this stuff. I, I've been involved in immigration reform advocacy for over a decade. And um, it's – look, I'm a, I'm a person who is all for secure borders. It's the government respo- responsibility to protect its people. And to do that, part of that is knowing who, uh, who its citizens are and who else is among their people. Uh, how we do that exactly, I think people of goodwill can disagree on. But we've witnessed both political parties in various ways in various points of the last decade and a half thwart responsible immigration reform. So our laws are outdated for the challenges of uh, the 21st century. And in particular, the, the particular challenges we're facing uh, with the unrest, uh, extra unrest, unusual unrest in South America. Um, so there's no there's no question that uh, the, our government ag- agencies are in a bind. Uh, so on the one hand, um, I'm, I'm empathetic to the situation where you have uh, thousands of people amassed along the southern border and there's a capacity issue. Um, I'm sympathetic to that. Uh, and it's not helped by the fact that Congress refuses to lead and, and do its job. Um, but we got to talk about enforcement here. Uh, you mentioned the rule of law. Uh, I agree the rule of law is, is what, uh, keeps, keeps our society, um, 
uh, mostly <laughs> copacetic and, and pleasant with one another. Um, but the rule of law means it's the rule of law and not the rule of a single man in relation to a monarchy or a dictator. Um, that's a theory uh, and a principle and a good one. Uh, there's rule of law and then there's particular laws. And we need not get those confused. And we need to understand that, uh, particularly in immigration enforcement, um, ICE has wide discretion about how they uh, deploy enforcement and how they enforce the law. Uh, and rounding up people like this, um, something like what, 100, 680 uh, people um, in, a, in a massive sting. Uh, these are people who are working at chicken plants, chicken processing plants. Um, look, I'm all for, you know, especially people who have committed felonies and violent crimes, and, you know, get them out of here, lock them up, uh, whatever is necessary. Uh, that's not the bulk of uh, undocumented uh, or illegal immigrants, uh, whatever you want to call them here. Uh, the level of um, law breaking, we're talking about rule of law and particular laws of crossing the border illegally. Yes, it's illegal. It's also in the status of a misdemeanor. And so I would challenge uh, our Christian citizens, if we're talking about domestic policy and a state level policy, what kind of misdemeanors justifies the enforcement that breaks up families and has children arriving at their homes to find their parents are, not, are missing? That's got, a, that's got to prick our consciences, Carmen. Um, yeah, I, there's no question about that. And I, I just... I, um, and again, uh, I recognize that uh, laws have been broken. Like, I get that. But we're also talking about companies that participate in that law breaking and actively right. recruited these individuals to move to Mississippi. Um, I mean, it's not lost on me that a lot of these people were actively recruited from communities like El Paso, Texas, where the president was appearing on that very same day. Um, mm -hmm. It just, you know, there's... Um, these are complicated issues. Immigration reform is needed. We have been talking about that um, seemingly ad nauseum, not, not yeah. only here. I mean, we've been talking about this for uh, a, a generation now, and, and now we're going to have a new generation of, of American citizens. These kids uh, were born here. Like, so right. we're talking about American citizens whose parents um, were, were arrested uh, detained uh, t for a misdemeanor and right. um, uh, and weren't present when their kids got off the school bus on the very first day of school. So just I, just in terms of pricking our conscience and our heart, I think that this is going to be one of those stories where we say to ourselves, okay, yes, this is law enforcement and we understand that. Something's wrong with the law if this is law enforcement. If this is the law we're enforcing and this is the way we're choosing to enforce it as a people, then yeah. we have to get with our lawmakers and we have to say, this has to change. Do you see yeah. comprehensive immigration reform legislation um, right now that uh, has has the hope of, uh, of of making progress? Oh, hey, we got to take a quick break. Paul is going to be really angry at me if I don't. So um, I, don't, I, don't, great I don't need Paul angry at me over the weekend. So we're going to take a break. Matt Hawkins and I will be back in just a minute to continue this conversation.
All right, I'm continuing my conversation with Matthew Hawkins. Um, Matt, um, I ask you a question about legislation that might be making its way uh, through Congress on the immigration front, and then I want to pivot and have a conversation about um, refugees as well. Yeah. Well, um, on both the subject of immigration and refugees, uh, I would pay attention to Senator James Langford of Oklahoma. I'm I'm out of the loop. I, I don't think there's any likelihood of uh, comprehensive immigration reform passing in this kind of climate. Um, I wish I wish that was different. Um, I I could be wrong. I'd be happy to I'd be happy to be wrong. Uh, we did have President Trump sign. Uh, a, a kind of a generational um, reform package for criminal justice. Uh, that was kind of a, a surprise given uh, given this uh, quote unquote law of order uh, ethos of his administration. Uh, but they got that through. Um, but uh, folks like Langford and then Senator Coons, um, they've taken bipartisan roles in trying to really be productive because they want to be governors. They actually want to be legislators uh, and actually uh, reform and create laws uh, as, as their job is supposed to entail. Uh, so those are a couple of people I would pay attention to. I, I just my my estimation on likelihood of a comprehensive immigration form in the near future is pretty unlikely. But maybe, Carmen, maybe the good news is that uh, irresponsible raids like this that happened in Mississippi, maybe that will prick the conscience of America enough that uh, we'll say enough and we'll vote into vote into office people who actually want to provide some real solutions. And look, uh, you know, <laughs> we were talking off air. You mentioned how low on the totem pole uh, Mississippi is for uh, illegal immigration reform. Look, I've talked to, you know, uh, immigration uh, or, you know, congressional immigration experts and they they have some real needs. Uh, they need some reforms. There are corridors in this nation, particularly in the West and Midwest, who have like, you know, one uh, immigration enforcement officer for thousands of square miles. And so there's some, some areas of the country that are woefully, uh, unprepared and ill-equipped. And yet you have this dramatic raid of 680 people at a chicken, a chicken factory in Mississippi. Uh, that's not exactly a hotbed for, uh, 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 relatively speaking to other nation, other parts of our country, um, for illegal immigration, but maybe, yeah, maybe, right. maybe overreaches like this, uh, will, will uh, bring these kind of issues front and center. All right. I want to pivot to refugees. Um, and you mentioned yeah. uh, Senator Langford and um, and Chris Coons. Uh, tell us about this um, bipartisan Senate group that is seeking reform uh, in terms of refugee resettlement. Yeah. So as, as folks may know, under, under the Trump administration, our, uh, refugee resettlement policy, as far as numbers concerned, has dropped significantly. I think under the last Obama, the last Obama year or two, each year it was about at about 100,000 uh, refugees resettled in America per year. Um, and then this year, uh, or the last couple of years, the Trump administration, uh, according to their um, discretion has lowered that significantly and more recently called for zero refugee resettlement. Um, now, this is an international problem. Um, on the one hand, uh, America is not obligated to resettle refugees, um, but uh, given our leadership position in the world, uh, it's, it's, I think, uh, part of our moral responsibility uh, to participate. We don't have to take most or all uh, or everyone, 
um, or even everyone that desires to come here. But I think we do have a role to participate, uh, given our history and uh, uh, not the least of which is the fact that the Statue of Liberty uh, is a hallmark institution um, of kind of the ethos of our country. Uh, Give us your tired, right? Give us your poor. Um, Refugees are among the highly, most highly vetted uh, uh, immigrants to our country. There's no question. Now, could there be reforms and uh, could we always use improvement as far as vetting capacity and strategies in the context of refugee resettlement? Of course. Um, but the notion that we're going to shut it down to zero uh, is, is just absurd. At the same time, Carmen, <laughs> What really troubles me as a Christian about this is we saw the poll uh, a number of weeks ago that talked about uh, a significant number of Christians, our our fellow believers, believe that uh, to be truly, quote unquote, truly American, one has to be Christian. Uh, And it it has has these echoes of being a, quote unquote, Christian nation. Um, Well, whatever you believe about Christian nation, if that's a thing, ought we not to... uh, be concerned about the cause of refugees and people who are, are um, the definition of refugee is someone who has been forced to cross an international border for, for sake of their lives um, and, and threat, threat on their persons. Um, we have globally the highest rate of refugees in the world, maybe in history. Um, and at a height at the at the peak of when it's really terrible around the globe uh, is not the time when the United States ought to be uh, retrenching and be, being fearful of refugees. We ought to be taking a leadership position. Um, the The act of, of cutting refugees is not an act of security. That's an act of fear. Uh, that conveys fear. We, that's, that conveys to the rest of the world we're scared of you. Um, receiving refugees indicates we're not scared and we can handle this and we're going to be responsible for the care and welfare of human beings, people who are created in the image of God. Um, And if you think the shutting down of refugees is about security, it's not. Refugees, again, are the most vetted class of immigrants um, that are brought into our country. And the same kind of people who are trying to shut down the refugee program are (laughs) are the same kind of people that will not touch business visas. Um, that have not been reformed since 9-11. Um, those kind of business visas from around the world, uh, that class of, business, of, of immigration <clears throat> visa has not been reformed, and they won't because it's good business. Uh, but for some reason, we're going to pick on the most vetted, the most vulnerable um, populations and not that let them in. And that includes, um, as you know, uh, a lot of Christian populations from around the world who are facing religious persecution. So just to let folks know what the what the news headline is related to this conversation, 18 senators from both parties uh, have sent a letter to the president calling uh, on the Trump administration to reject a reported proposal to effectively eliminate eliminate refugee resettlement. And um, we've we've been mentioning um, 
two senators in in relationship to this because they're kind of the spearhead, uh, and that's yeah. Senator Lankford and uh, Senator Chris Coons. But let me just be sharing with our listeners that uh, Mike Rounds and John Thune of South Dakota, for all of our South Dakota listeners, uh, both uh-huh. of your uh, senators uh, have uh, have signed on to this letter. And for those of you who are listening to us in Wisconsin, Tammy Baldwin is uh, is a signatory. For those of you listening in Minnesota, Tina Smith is a signatory. So um, we've got uh, a really wide bar- bipartisan effort uh, in, in relationship to this. And so I'm just really encouraging people to encourage their um, senators to get on board with this uh, effort that is spearheaded by Senators Lankford and Coons in terms of refugee resettlement. So, um, Matt, you and I have to leave it right there today. Uh, as always, we're leaving uh, conversation topics on the table. But thank you so much for joining us again here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, friends, i got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Thank you. So there's actually no uh, better indicator of whether or not you vote red or blue than the topic of our next conversation, and that's actually gun ownership. Uh, The demographics of gun ownership in this country are uh, as good an indicator of whether or not a person is a Republican or a Democrat as virtually anything else. There's really only two states in the country where those numbers don't absolutely hold up. One is Vermont. Um, where overwhelming number of voters happen to be Democrats, but it's also uh, uh, a state that has a deep appreciation for um, for gun ownership, including Bernie Sanders, which is just an interesting. Uh, it, it, the reason I'm bringing this up is because the Second Amendment is uh, a conversation topic that is being had across the country. Uh, it spikes. This conversation spikes every time we have one of these mass shootings, uh, because we've had three mass shootings: Gilroy, uh, California. Uh, El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio, just in the last 10 days, obviously the conversation is at a, at a fever pitch. We're going to have this conversation with Hunter Baker from Union University. So whether or not you uh, are a red or blue voter, you, you are, if you're listening, um, gun ownership is probably something you're concerned about. And we're not just talking about gun ownership. We're talking about gun control and all of the related efforts uh, in that conversation. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Did you know that scientists estimate if you live to 70 years old, your heart will beat about two and a half billion times? That's a lot of heartbeats. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. We tend to measure our days by minutes and hours. But what if you think of your heart as your personal clock? You'd measure your life in heartbeats, not hours, days, or years. So, how are you going to use your heartbeats? The best and most fulfilling way to use them is to live your true calling, a life that reflects your faith and your values. God has given you unique gifts to offer this world, whether it's your talents or your treasure. It's just a matter of figuring out what God is calling you to do with them, and then spending your heartbeats doing it. Put your hand over your heart and feel that beating in your chest. You're here for a reason. And when you're being a wise steward of your gifts, you'll find you're living a life of contentment, confidence, and generosity. Joining us now again today, uh, Dr. Hunter Baker. He serves as Dean of Arts and Sciences, Professor of Political Science at Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. He's the author of three books, The End of Secularism, 
Political Thought, A Student's Guide, uh, and The System Has a Soul. I think you should add to your bio, regular guest on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back. Uh, sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you. <laughs> As opposed to all the irregular guests we have. Okay, so um, we're going to talk today about the Second Amendment. You posted this on Facebook. The freedom to own guns is like other freedoms. It will survive unless that freedom becomes intolerable. Free citizens have to ultimately be virtuous, at least to a significant degree. If there are too many people without virtue, the edifice collapses and you end up with control. A responsible people will be free people. We must attend to virtue or freedom will disappear under order. Um, I would love for you to walk around with us in uh, the gun control conversation and I think what you're saying is unless there's personal control, there will be external control. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, look, if we if we think about it, Carmen, um, we could go back to uh, – gosh, I don't know if you're as old as I am. I'm approaching 50. Uh, but you I'm know, older than you, kid, man. I am older than uh, you. Okay. I, am, I am your well, senior. Yeah. You have, you have a young voice. Uh, <laughs> the, when I was a child, uh, boys – regularly carried pocket knives to school uh, and that was not a problem you know there was no there was no issue there um, but things are different now you know we would we would not uh, want boys carrying pocket knives to school because we'd be afraid of something terrible happening um, the basically as you know freedom and and virtue are inescapably connected you cannot avoid it uh you know if there if there is a maslow's hierarchy of political needs then order and safety would be right there at the base and so as long as people owning guns uh goes along well with order and safety then we're then we're going to own our guns we're going to have our constitutional rights and everything is going to be great uh but to the extent that there are too many people uh, who do not exercise virtue, but who instead abuse freedoms, then you're going to get more laws, more control, uh, more police action. So I have a listener who wants uh, me to remind you that once upon a time, uh, American children packed off to school with a rifle in their backpack. Not really their backpack, rucksack, he says. Um, and they came home smiling and safe in the evening and shooting clubs used to be a thing where I live. So um, yeah. I, I think that, yeah, I think that we are, you know, we are talking about uh, a nation that has changed very dramatically in terms of population density, particularly in some communities. We have, uh, we, we're talking about a nation that has changed dramatically in terms of, I think, our tolerance for violence. We seem to tolerate a level of violence today in relationships that is uh, that that is really his, extraordinary by our own historical standards, um, and so I guess I wonder, you know, when we're when we're talking about laws, I look at a city like Chicago. There probably are no stricter, more strict gun laws in the entire country than in the city of Chicago, and yet there's also no city with any greater gun violence, and so. Um, Laws don't – I'm not saying laws don't help because that's not the right way to say this. But laws are, are not an answer if you have a people who are just bent on on using guns in the wrong way or using anything in the wrong way. Yeah, you're totally right about that. I mean that's, that's, that's actually one of the terrible paradoxes, isn't it? That, that basically 
once there is uh, once there is enough of a social problem, it's it's as if law cannot contain it. Um, Machiavelli used to say something along the lines of that that materials dictate structure. Um, so, for instance, Carmen, we don't really imagine building a skyscraper out of wood. You have to build mm. it out of steel. Uh, and so, so if you so really the the shape of the laws, the shape of the community, is going to depend on who the citizens are, right? And so, if we do not do a good job of rearing and raising citizens, then we're going to find ourselves in this in this kind of terrible paradox that we're describing. So, you know, nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to talk about it. But the simple fact is, is that is that families play a huge part in this. And I haven't done a systematic study, but I have I have great confidence that if we were to start studying these shooters, uh, we would not find the family hall of fame here. Well, and I think that's one of the challenges, right? So we have, especially when they're young adults. So once they reach the the age of maturity, or the, the major age. Um, you know, we uh, apparently this mom uh, in in Texas, she did reach out to law enforcement. She did raise concern that her her child, who is of major age and has no history of mental illness, um, she did raise concern with law enforcement that he owned this particular weapon, and and because he was an adult and because he purchased it legally and because uh, he doesn't have any history of uh, you know that they could point to. Um, uh, they couldn't do anything. And so they didn't do anything. And so I, I, you know, maybe help us explore. um, I know that there are these red flag laws. Maybe, you know, something or or there are red flag laws in some states. There's some conversation about a national red flag law. I mean, do you, do you know enough about the nuances of what's being proposed to walk us through a couple of these things? Uh, About the, well, look, any, any number – so a huge part of the problem clearly uh, has to do with mental illness, right? I mean there's – I think there's little question about that. Um, now, so, this, so the question that comes after that is uh, how do we act upon people who we suspect to be mentally ill? And that's a really tough question. I mean we went through uh, – the U.S. used to be um, – you know, used to have. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. Just the idea that we used to commit a a lot of people. Uh, they would go into institutions and and they would not come out. Um, now, with the range of psychiatric drugs that we have, uh, we don't resort to institutionalization the way we used to. Uh, but of course, psychiatric drugs are not. Uh, are not going to prevent all of the problems, and uh, people who need psychiatric drugs don't necessarily take them when they are mm-hmm. prescribed. Uh, so, you know, again, as you pointed out with Chicago, we can make all the laws we want to. Uh, whether they'll actually be effective is a is another question. So, we've got a listener uh, who sends us this. He says, John Adams' quote uh, on government, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. He goes on to say it's wholly inadequate to the government uh, of any other. And so the government of the United States is not in any sense 
founded on the Christian religion, and when legislature is corrupted, the people are undone. Um, I think that, you know, our listeners are paying attention here today, Hunter, uh, and I think I think people get it that we have um, we've reached a moral crisis. And once you've reached the stage of a moral crisis, you then have this constitutional crisis or this legislative crisis. So uh, Hunter Baker is going to be here uh, with me after the break. We got to take a quick break when we come back. We're going to continue this conversation. And I think, um, Hunter, let's talk next about how we keep rights in balance, because we are talking about the Second Amendment and we have the First Amendment. And so let's talk about the right to life and liberty in balance with the right to bear arms. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Hunter Baker from Union University, he and I are talking about the Second Amendment, conversations uh, roiling in the country uh, about this subject. Um, Hunter, I always want to be preparing people for the conversations of the day um, in a redemptive manner. I want to give people, you know, not necessarily talking points, but at least, you know, the mind of Christ thinking points that we could uh, have in our hearts and minds as we enter the conversations taking place in the culture. And so as people around us are talking about rights. Um, help us help us enter into that conversation today, recognizing that, you know, my right to to free speech and my right to bear arms um, are at, in some ways. I mean, I'm going to use the word subordinate. Maybe that's the wrong word. So help me out. Um, subordinate to the right to life, the right to liberty. You know, help, help me out here. Uh, yeah, well, um I ran for Congress here in West Tennessee, which you might imagine is a uh, very heavily gun-owning populace. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that people around here would say is they'd say the, the Second Amendment uh, protects all the others, right? Um, so a lot of times uh, if you want to think about gun ownership in, uh, in sort of a more noble way, one of the things I would say is that it, it helps to keep the government honest to know that the populace uh, has resort to arms. Um, uh, so I can quote Machiavelli again. Machiavelli advises the prince uh, to take away weapons from the people. They didn't have guns. They had other things. Um, and, uh, and, of course, we've seen many uh, authoritarian or totalitarian governments take away Guns. So it should be understood that that it there is something good, I think, uh, on balance about people being able to own guns uh, in a free society. Um, but yes, it has to be balanced. There's no there's no question that it has to be balanced. And and you probably have to have somewhat different laws in an extremely urban place like New York City. Uh, as opposed to where I live, you know, uh, where I live, you know, we are we are not so densely packed, and uh, a person with a gun cannot do the kind of damage here uh, that they could somewhere like there. So yeah, all the the rights contained in the Constitution are none of them absolute. Uh, not even not even the right to free exercise of religion. Uh, because if we take it to the point of absolutism, then I'm defending throwing virgins into volcanoes, right? Uh, but but I don't, uh, because I, I understand that law has this sort of protective role. You know, it's sort of the most fundamental thing about it. Uh, so we have to keep all that in mind, 
and we have to we have to try to be reasonable in how we think through uh, the way these rights apply. So when we we look around the globe, um, I know that in Venezuela, right? The the I don't even know if the word is confiscation, but the um, the collecting of all of the guns of the people, right? That took place at a point along their socialist path. Um, when we look at what is happening in Hong Kong, you know, one of the parts of that conversation is, you know, you've, you've got a populace that can stand out there and protest in the streets all they want, but they're not, they're not ultimately an armed people. And so they would be in no position to, um, if they found it necessary, and I don't know how you'd face off the, the, uh, the Red Army of, of China anyway, but, um, but you get my point here, right? Like there is in America this sense that, um, at some level, we we would have the ability to hold our own government accountable if and when necessary, because we are an armed people. And so, like, right, I get that part of the conversation. So bring all of that into, like, we have this conversation about socialism sometimes, and we have this conversation about um, the confiscation of weapons. Um, do you, I don't see that in the future of America, but I know that that is a fear at some level in this conversation. Yeah, I think the fear – so any any law that is proposed, uh, I don't think that you're looking at something that would, that would be about uh, confiscation of weapons. I think that the fear that people have um, is of a slippery slope or of giving the government some sort of a permission-granting function uh, on having access to guns and uh, – the concern that if the government had a permission granting function, eventually it would just not grant permission, uh, and so you would see that right sort of just uh, just slip away. I think that's the way people are probably thinking. I think that's why people are so ardent uh, in the defense, you know, against any encroachment. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And uh, just in terms of you know, because I'm going to hear from people who say, "Hey, Hunter needs to know." Um, we have a president or a, a person who um, is running for the Democratic nomination, Beto O'Rourke, who said uh, just two days ago he's actually open to an Australian-style mandatory gun confiscation here in America of you know of particular kinds of weapons. So I do think there are people who are um, who are advocating for. Uh, gun confiscation and the red flag legislation that's out there, some would view as gun confiscation, right? I mean, because it, it, it is, I mean, at, at some level. So I think these are conversations that we have to figure out how to have. And as Christians, we have to figure out how to participate in these conversations in a way that says, look, we value life. Um, we value the dignity of every person. We value uh, a, a sense of safety and protection in the culture from uh, people who are bent on doing violence, um, and we recognize the depravity of the human heart. Like we recognize uh, the the reason that virtue doesn't exist and violence exists is because you know God is not reigning sovereignly in the hearts and minds of people. And so, when we point to mental illness, uh, Hunter, you know, I I guess I'm a person who wants to very quickly say what we should be pointing to maybe is spiritual illness, and what we should be willing to talk about at some level is. Uh, dark forces, demonic forces. And those are not conversations that I even quite know how to have and not sound crazy when I say it out in public. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally about that. I, you know, I would I would never uh, assume that 
there's not some kind of spiritual warfare going on here. I mean, I, you know, we don't ever talk about uh, things like possession. Um, I would I would not be the guy who would who would say no that can't happen or or no that's not a factor in any of these cases. I I agree with you. I mean, I th- I think there's a spiritual battle going on all the time. Uh, and I, I do think it's important for us to pray and to develop an awareness in our children uh, to, to guard their hearts. Amen. All right, you and I are going to leave it right there. Uh, Hunter Baker from Union University. Hey, we're praying for you guys as you are starting a new school year. I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, we got to take one more quick break, and then we'll be back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Okay, so uh, I started out this uh, this uh, this hour um, inviting us to be the people who are purveyors of good news in the face of and in response to all of the bad news that's out there. So um, let me conclude by saying this: You are a person possessed of the good news of the gospel, and uh, you and I, each in each and every day and in each and every conversation, we actually get to be people who not only pray but bring the gospel to bear on the bad news of our day. And so uh, be that be that guy today. Be that woman today who, uh, in the face of the bad news, your first reaction and response is to pray. And your second reaction and response is to speak the redemptive good news of Jesus Christ into those situations. And that's not, that's, you know, sometimes that's just crying out Jesus. Like, I get that. I get that sometimes... Oh, my God, and Jesus are the spoken prayers of the people of faith in in response to and in reaction to the bad news of the day. Um, be the people that cry out in that way. Uh, those are those are heart prayers of God's people throughout all of human history. And it's really the echo um, of the Psalms themselves. All right. I am Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next. Stay with me. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.